Why do you say that, Father? You aren't afraid, are you? No. But I respect some of the superstitions of others. Often they are founded in fact. Broadcasting live from our Sanctum Sanctorum in Venice, California. This is the Sixth Sense Society. I'm your host, Krista, here with our producer, Michael. And today we are excited to have on the show our first Canadian paranormal team, two sisters from British Columbia, and it's Gina Armstrong and Victoria Vansick of Haunted History BC. They are paranormal researchers, published authors, and historians residing in British Columbia, Canada. And today we're going to be getting to know them and talking about cryptids. So we're really excited about that. But before we get started, Michael has a few announcements. Hi, everybody. Thank you for tuning in again. We're really happy to have you guys here. Um, We've got one more guest this month, which is our good friend, Reverend Jim McGrath. He'll be on next week, and he'll be talking about how Christian symbols have been used to support violence and oppression. So he's not a real fan of that. So it should be a fascinating episode with him. And uh, and then we're planning shows for September and October. We're going to have plenty of our paranormal people on still. So join us for all the stuff ahead of us. Find out all the information on our website, sixcentsociety.com, S-I-X-T-H, all spelled out while you're there buy us a coffee on Ko-Fi if you can afford to because it helps a little with our production costs and so forth. Um, and if you know anyone that you think might make a great guest, you know, let us know. We're, we're always looking for some new people and I'm excited to have these guys on today. It's going to be an awesome show. I'm really, really, really looking forward to it. So I don't want to take up too much of your time, so I'm going to kick it back to you, Krista. So take it away, Krista. Great. Thank you, Michael. And welcome, Gina and Victoria. Hi there. Hi. How are you? <laughs> great. Thank you for coming on the show. Oh, we're really excited to be here. Yeah, yeah. we definitely are. <laughs> Especially live. It's always fun to go, you know, exactly. to be live. We love live, even with the blips and blops. It's actually more exciting for us, too. And we're hoping we often get people on chat. And that's one of the things we want to encourage people to join in. And we, and we do get that on the shows. Oh, great. Uh, sure. Well, we're that's really great. looking forward to it. Yeah, so definitely. it will be fun to chat. That's yeah. for sure. So let's start a little bit with, it's always good to get a bit of a background for our new guests. And I was curious about when each of you first encountered the paranormal in your lives in a meaningful way. So either of you can take it and run with it, that that question. Okay, so I'm Victoria here. Um, Actually, uh, I think it was when we were really young, um, maybe roughly, what, 11, 12, 13 years old, Mm -hmm. we were quite intrigued by all the time the paranormal and um, I think as kids you know you have a fascination for ghosts all the time and like you know ghost stories so I think probably around that time we just dabbled in all that sort of stuff we loved the movies books and um, at that time I think it was like we were 13 14 years old we started running our own seances in our basement and obviously they were rigged at the time because uh, we didn't pay too much attention to the seriousness. Um, and uh, we did a good job really freaking people out. Our friends just ran for cover all the time, and we were really good at it. It was fun. So, uh, but me personally, um, I know that um, even now up until this point, I haven't had really anything, I would say, uh, earth-shattering that happened to me, but... Um, I remember earlier on, Krista and I, well, like when we were discussing this, um, we were talking about how something that was very profound, probably now in the last two years when we've been visiting sites and locations, there have been some situations that we could not really, I would say, explain. And I would say that they, that, that was probably for me, like as an adult, probably mm-hmm. I could say, I have come across something. But Gina, you were a little bit younger, right? Yeah, I would say maybe eight or nine years old. Yeah. And that was the very first time I would, at the moment, I didn't know that it was anything um, paranormal, but I woke up one night and there, like the room was filled with like sort of these little staticky little lights. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you do the like the pinching and all that kind of stuff to make sure that you're awake and all that. So 
I don't know. I've, I'm still kind of waiting to hear somebody, uh, hopefully one day having a similar experience because I don't know what it was. It was sort of filled with static. And I, in my mind, I would tell like those things or whatever that to like form a shape and they would form a shape like a circle, a tree. Hmm. And I know a hundred percent I was awake. So, and of course, as time goes on, you sort of kind of forget about it and you think, okay, well, it has, there has to be something. I had to be a dreaming or I had to be something, but that is something that I can't, really explain easily and I haven't heard a similar experience I know I've heard about the static like yeah, staticky people or shadow people that look like static but not really like a whole room full of like these little lights and they were they were like almost like if you saw snow like that was the mm. best way to describe it they were just kind of floating around the room but yeah so that was the 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 earliest experience I remember having and then after that I would say yes just the last few years since about 2017 we've been going into spooky locations and we've had some very interesting um you know we've heard voices we've heard had things sort of fly through the air we've heard the one of the most recent places we've had um we've been to looking i was kind of in the back of the house it's an old sort of a uh tudor style house and we were in the back kind of taking our photos because we usually take photos extensive photos of the outside and inside i swear i saw somebody go from like left to right in the big window like there's a big bay window and i thought well, we better get inside because it looks like they're in, in there getting ready for us. And I saw a guy kind of walk past. And so earlier on, too, we thought we heard voices when we first were taking pictures of the front door. And we just assumed somebody was in there. Well, when we rang the doorbell, nobody was answering. We thought, well, maybe there's nobody there. So I ended up calling the guy who was supposed to meet us. And he was like five minutes away. So there was actually nobody physically in the house. Mm. And then afterwards, we got some interesting photos and well even me as well when i was walking through the hallway yes i kept thinking i saw something from the corner of my eye and um typically most of the time you would capture something that's always on like i would say on a photo mm -hmm. but i was literally seeing things just in person like and your naked eye like you were trying to take a picture yeah. and you saw like light flitting and it was until when you took a photo of me that i actually had a, 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 a like an orb above me and um, it was kind of actually quite fascinating. It was a little eerie at first, too, because there was one distinct photo that Gina took of me as I was looking at the architecture. Like the light fixture you were just kind of zeroed exactly. in on. Exactly. And um, there was what appeared to be like a, a chair that was, I think, that had like a little girl or something sitting there. It looks like that. And mm. it looked almost like sort of like it was wispy looking and the little girl looked like in a period clothing. Yeah. We'll have so, to send it to you guys. Yeah, yeah. It's really cool. So I have to say that kind of was a little bit mind blowing and a bit eerie too, because mm. we've been walking through this building thinking nothing of it. And we thought, well, it's got a lot of, you know, interesting history. Obviously we've heard stories about, you know, the place. Um, there's a lot of movie Movies being filmed over there, movie crews coming in, and um, but we thought nothing of it until we started reviewing our photographs. And I have to say that just was recently this year. So I have to say yeah, that just was a really couple months ago. Yeah. And even still, even though you sort of want to believe in things mm -hmm. and you still try to explain it away. I don't know if it's human nature or just our logical side of our brain exactly. saying, oh, it's got to be like a trick of the light or it's got to be a something but you know sometimes you do capture things that you really can't can't explain and you hear things that you can't explain and so that's true that's, that's what's cool about part. photography and also um it's so much easier to do a lot of pictures i've caught things like in flames before Whoa. and i didn't even see them when i was taking the picture and it was only because i was actually focused on the person holding the candle and I yeah. thought that's what's you never know with pictures what you really can capture I think unfortunately it's also easier to fake nowadays things that's one of the arguments about you know trusting any video and photography footage so but I I agree with you it's like you know you can capture things that you don't expect I did want to mention uh, or say something about the seances and um, that seems to be the gateway drug to the paranormal. <laughs> yeah, totally, I mean, totally so not. many people have a story about seance. It's an, at least for girls. I don't yeah. know if it's the same. Maybe, I don't know. All the girls I knew, we were all into it like in third grade, you know? And, Absolutely. And yeah, we were all just regular kids, you know? It wasn't like we were in, <laughs> you know, a pagan family or something you might expect. And it was like, I've heard it from so many people. So I thought that you was know. kind of funny, you know? Yeah, we didn't have a Ouija or anything like that at the mm -hmm. time. But, but um, yeah, since then, we've done, like, legit seances where we've gone with friends. And then you go to a historic location. And some places have allowed us to do, like, an authentic Victorian seance, which has been really cool. And we've had some ah. experiences. So, 
it is something when you, you know, in our last one, we were sitting in a house and we were doing it. Three of us were, had our hands on it. It was me and two other people that were with us. And um, one of them was the museum worker herself. So she said, well, can I partake as well? So we kind of let her, but yeah, even the planchette on the Ouija board kind of jumped a little. Mm -hmm. So that was a little kind of funky when we had our fingers on it. It just kind of, you know, did a little jump and we thought, Oh my God, you know, everybody of course freaks out, takes their hand off of it and goes, ah, you know. (laughs) Yeah. It is weird when that happens. I don't know what it is. It's just weird, you know, because I've seen that too. Spots and we got some interesting answers to things. So the tobacco smell, remember the the cherry tobacco smell. smell, So that was kind of interesting too, but yeah. And you never know if it's like, the actual house or the things that the period items that people donate and bring in. Cause a mm. lot of museums don't have necessarily artifacts, all that are, um, you know, come with the house, but there's people who right. donate things and they, and they end up in there. So you never know. There could be like random attachments hanging around. Or, that's, and that's what true. we like doing too, what we like to do as well is um, bring other groups in who have slightly different skills as well and slightly different interests. And that's where we learn a lot, but also we can collaborate and share. And it's really cool if one person's more into writing books, others are doing the paranormal investigation, and that's what happened with us. And they usually have people. And they usually have better equipment too, because we have our handheld stuff, but we don't have like cameras. We don't have like, you know, all the bells and whistles. Some of our friends have some some really good equipment. They have drones, and they have you know all kinds of stuff for you. Oh yeah, that is good. Got drones. So it's nice when we can go with somebody who's into the gadgets, because. Not that we wouldn't want to be into them, but I just don't have the patience for technology, I guess, if you want to say that. Like, you know, we're pretty, we have our EVP, like our EMF readers and our, you know, REM pods and like handheld stuff. So right. that seems to work well. And the, your intuition, you can't forget about that. Sure. Absolutely. Because that, that's your radar, you know, that helps mm-hmm. you make decisions moment to moment. So I totally agree. Uh, yes. So let's get into this topic because I know we're both excited about cryptids. I used to think they were called cryptoids for the longest time. I, I've called them <laughs> cryptoids. Well, that, yeah. <laughs> so like, oh, it's cryptids. I've been saying it wrong for 10 years. <laughs> so um, and they feature in your first ever magazine. Very, I read yeah. all of the, the ones in the magazine. So I hope you bring up some of them in that one. And it's yes, uh, we sure will. We'll, we'll share this a little more at the end too. So, yes. but uh, what would you like to talk to about in terms of the, the maybe just talk about first what it is and according to you, a cryptid, what, how do you define a cryptid? Well, I would probably say a, like a creature that's not in the mainstream of, you know, things that are classified today. Like, you know, you can all, you know, we all know like the, you know, cat, type creatures, ape-like creatures and things. But, you know, people seem to um, see things that are sort of hybrids of things and or things that don't look like anything else. Like, we didn't get into this part in our book, but, you know, when people see things like skinwalkers or rakes or, oh, my God, you see some footage and you think, like, what the hell is that thing? Mm -hmm. And, you know, really there's nothing really explainable about that. And different cultures have different beliefs that – and you see different kinds of creatures and you think, well, you know, that's not anything that we can – classify scientifically that we know of so i would say it's some unknown thing (laughs) yeah and it's definitely fascinating too to see across the board like throughout the globe the different cultures as well seeing very similar things Mm -hmm. well so it makes you kind of wonder that there might be something out there that hasn't been identified but it's definitely a mystery definitely yeah because it's before the internet and before people were sharing information in this way but People historically, like in the 1800s, have seen things all over the world that could be could be similar. And, you know, there's there's even drawings on cave walls of people seeing things that they, you know, that we can't explain. So, yeah, there's it's a fascination for sure. Like, you know, what is out there? Is there really are there really things out there? And there's some evidence that says that there might might be. So in your area in British Columbia, uh, what are some of the local uh, cryptids that you have come across? Oh, we have another well, one. We, well, I'll start off with one in particular because this one we've never talked about on other podcasts before. So, Krista, this is your very first, um, <laughs> I would say, unveiling of the Chuswani. The debut. Yes, the debut. <laughs> it's having its, yes. its podcast debut. <laughs> All right. <laughs> and, um, it's actually kind of both Gina and I, I would say both of us, uh, like we were di- actually agreeing that it's one of our favorites because it's not as creepy. It's all cuter. It is fascinating. It's interesting. Um, we live in the Pacific Northwest area, and um, just going southern, probably south interior, there's a place called Chuswat Lake, and um, that's probably about four and a half to five hours away from us. 
So we're kind of more closer toward the Washington state border area. Hmm. Anyway, so um, in the Shuswap Lake area, there have been a lot of sightings of this Shuswagi, and it's basically a sea serpent. Um, probably the very first sighting was documented in about like 1904. Mm-hmm. So long it goes back ago. a long time. And it was an Aboriginal man that happened to supposedly capture this sea creature. And um, he described it as being probably about 30 to 50 feet long. And it was a bit furry and hairy looking, sort of like a bear. Hmm. And apparently he killed it, sold off the pelt, and that's basically it on that side. And then after about in the 1970s, the sightings started creeping up again. People started noticing things in the water. And mind you, Shuswap Lake is not a very big lake. It's probably about 600 meters deep, roughly. Yeah. And um, But the thing is that people have noticed these sea serpents floating around or something that looks like a sea serpent because of the length. Mm. So, and um, people who live there, it's a recreational area as well. Families gather there. A lot there. of fishing, camping. Exactly. Just a lot of people frequent it for that. A lot of fishermen go there because there's a lot of good fish. Exactly. So, you know, they're out there and locals have noted back in 1970s, 1980s, seeing this thing that sort of looked like a bear, sort of kind of fuzzy, hairy, but really long. Hmm. And I have to say, um, it kind of looked like a dolphin in some cases, too. Yeah, like the renderings of it. Yeah. yeah, So, but um, people have spied them. They looked at them. They noticed them. They even were like with binoculars out on the water and they happened to see things floating around. And there was this really cool document, um, documentary that uh, they were talking about these guys who were filming, I believe it was the guys with flies. Yeah, they're a local fishing group. They're a local fishing group, yeah. Yeah. And they were filming a video, and they apparently saw something floating around. And they saw it with humps on it, too, as well on the surface. And a lot of times people had noted that, and it's it's everybody who's been noticing those kind of things. Yeah, similar reports. And there was, like, one lady who was walking past one day, and this was a a few years earlier, like a decade earlier, and she was walking past when she heard something as she was walking her dog along the, you know, along the waterfront and she heard something splashing around. So she looked and then she saw something super long too. And it had the humps and she thought, well, what am I looking at? And she kept looking closer and sure enough, it was something that was really long and was sort of like, they always describe like an undulating movement, you know, so it's moving like, not like a log where you just see it just sort of randomly, you know, uncontrollably just, you know, being thrown down the river or something, but people see it, you know, kind of, diving under after the boat kind of clips yeah. it and they see it sort of dive back under. But yeah, it's a, it's one that's been around for a while. It looks like it is. And it's kind of cool because like the adults and the kids seem to be citing mm. these things. And um, so, you know, it keeps on going. And I think back in 2011, there was another story as well. Mm-hmm. Again, a group of people just happened to be vacationing there and happened to see something as well and they couldn't explain it. So we often wonder if it might be a prehistoric maybe creature or something that still lives in the depths of the water there. Seems possible. Also, it doesn't sound like it's very dangerous. It doesn't sound like people are being eaten by it or disappearing, (laughs) their dogs disappearing. Yeah, are probably just curious. Yeah. Yeah. So that one I wouldn't mind meeting. That one, you know, it seems like some of the ocean cryptids aren't all so scary other than they're big. Yeah. Exactly. Or a poor like lake, ocean and lake, you know, I was thinking of some of the, the ocean things too. And, and then I was thinking about how, you know, we call them all monsters and maybe we need to rethink whether or not there are monster cryptids and non-monster cryptids. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. It's just the experience people have with them, right? Yeah. So you've got to gotta keep that in mind. Exactly. On, a, on a terror <laughs> scale of what they look like, you exactly. know, there's like cute cryptids and then there's creepy cryptids yeah so this is like a little water bear but more like 50 feet long right yeah and so people do kind of yeah and and we have of course like an okanagan lake there's the ogopogo everybody's really familiar with that one so there's always some good sea serpent sightings that have happened yeah but that's kind of probably one of my favorites because it's quite unique and we haven't talked much about it so that was Mm. kind of cool yeah, yeah, and the furry nice. element of it seems a little different. Yeah, exactly. and they said like the back feet, sort of like with the pelt that was, you know, in the 1900s. They said that the feet were sort of like, like big feet, like that so something that would propel itself through the water. So that's why it didn't look like a typical bear. They said that mm. it was looking like 
the fur looked bear-like, but the feet mm-hmm. looked like something that would be sort of paddling or swimming. So hmm. that's cool. interesting. So if anybody likes to visit British Columbia, check out Choose Swap Lake. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> there could be tourism with cryptids. I don't see why not. I mean, there is a little bit people trying to go see the Loch Ness Monster. Maybe that's one of the most famous ones, you know, but oh, yeah. maybe well, they could do more. We've got one in Ontario as well. We've got mm-hmm. one yeah. in Ontario, Muskrat Lake. Muskrat Lake in Ontario. Yeah, Musk yeah. is actually well known there. They've mm. got even a, a statue dedicated to him. There's and, a festival uh, for this. <laughs> so people kind of come every year to find Musty. But again, it's one of those ones where, you know, they've seen yeah. something in the water. And, you know, they said right. that, you know, things are kind of, you know, always surfacing. And people say that they've seen this, this sea monster. And people have said, you know, that people try to dismiss it like, oh, it's a sturgeon. or Because there's other types of creatures that can be kind of longer and you know mm. say it's oh, an eel or it's something but you know people say oh no but it didn't look like that it doesn't look like a fish or it doesn't right. look we all know what a fish looks like and you know it's kind of not it's not the same <laughs> yeah well they're still discovering new species so yeah, anything's absolutely. possible there exactly. there are and there could be hybrid species like that's right. another thing that people yeah. don't really take into account that there could be you know a species where mm-hmm. it could be bred with another type of creature right now, what are the scarier ones for you that you have found through your research? Ooh, well, the Wendigo. The Wendigo. That's the, no, that's the one I think you mentioned. About, oh, right? yes, you know, yes, Alberta, yes. The Wendigo. Because, yes. Yeah, got, so yeah. this one, people are, um, this is an interesting one because this one is not only in Canada, but it, it, it's been cited or, you know, it, it's pretty common in other areas too. Well, not common, hopefully. But um, <laughs> Here we have one, yes, that's, people say it's kind of a relative of Bigfoot, and it looks a little bit like a werewolf, and the Wendigo, or Wendigo, um, he's supposed to be pretty horrifying. He's described as having, like, some human characteristics. He's supposed to be really, really tall, kind of um, sunken, you know, just ta- really towering with um, sunken eyes, peeling skin. He occasionally has elk horns, so, like, a face of an elk and mm. elk horns, so that really sounds creepy. Yeah. And other times people say he has like deer-like horns and he appears really emaciated. Oh. Like he's really, you know, really skinny and he's kind of like looks really hungry. So that's one of the things that it, um, he's a cold weather creature. So that's the other thing. There's, um, they say that he's predominant in the cold weather and in the desolate parts of central Canada. Um, forced along the freezing paths, you kind of look for the starving wendigo because he's he's also looking for starving people so so he's going to eat starving people because he's starving well he might eat starving people but the other thing is he makes the starving people sort of he possesses them and that that they are hungry for now human flesh so oh that's the thing is that you know there's the tale of like people you know said that it was like a kind of a cautionary thing about selfishness and you know those types of things and greed but there was an actual story about a hundred years ago in Alberta, in Fort Kent, Alberta. So in the 1920s, there was a doctor that moved there. And at the time, unfortunately, um, there was a huge smallpox outbreak. So everybody around him was sick, dying. Um, and his own family, his wife did pass away due to smallpox. Um, people, The townspeople said at that time, he locked himself in a room for three days, didn't come out. But when he came out, he just no longer looked like a man. They said that he was emaciated looking. Looked like an animal. He looked like an animal. <laughs> they said he um, resembled a wild animal. He, um, his face was described as like no longer human. He was like kind of hunched over, emaciated. And he was like emanating these guttural sounds. And so the last time they saw him was when he, he was, you know, murdering the townspeople like for three days straight, he murdered the townspeople. And then the last of him that they saw was him running into the woods and he just disappeared and nobody ever heard from him again. So that's kind of creepy. They said he was sort of turned into this. Into the Wendigo. Wendigo type creature. And Poor guy. Oh, yeah. And oddly today, people still say that they hear strange, um, terrifying howls in those woods. Um, Sightings well, are being also warned not yeah. to go near them. And sightings at the edge of the forest. And then, yeah, and many mm-hmm. people don't want to walk near the tree line. And yeah, they say that locals will often caution, like, out-of-town visitors mm-hmm. after dark not to get too close to those woods because there's some something eerie about them and there's spooky stuff in there. So, Whoa, that yeah, is spooky. That, was, that would be a creepy one. That's very X-Files-like. 
See, I always heard about the Wendigo being more like a mythical uh, spirit, right? Like an mm-hmm. Aboriginal myth. But mm-hmm. um, this thing about that, because actually Gina just uncovered that one. She she discovered the story about the Alberta doctor. Yeah, it was coming. That was fascinating. I didn't even mm. know that myself. So yeah, that, that puts a different spin now on the on the Wendigo. Sure. Yeah. Well, you're you're both like uh, historians as well, right? We are. Yeah. So that yeah. seems to be um, one of the fascinating things that's happening with the paranormal is. The, I mean, there's always been a historical nature, but it hasn't always been uh, factual. <laughs> I mean, no. whereas I've noticed more historians are getting involved in their communities and bringing the two together is really fascinating. Yes, and we love that. We love doing that as well. Mm-hmm. Gina and I are both uh, very well connected to the community. We love to volunteer as well or just get involved with various things too and like the uh, heritage sector yeah so we do yeah. do a lot of work around, in and around there so yeah so, the events that they put on too that's for mm-hmm. sure yeah and have you and found that that let's say uh, just a tried and true historians are accepting of the paranormal side of you because you are historical or do you find you have a little I'm, oh no i would say that we are and especially um evident mm-hmm. with the fact that in may we actually won um, something called the BC Heritage Storytelling Award, and it was for our project. It was for yeah, for uh, BC for legends and folklore. folklore. Yeah, yeah, BC folklore and legends, yeah. and it was history, heritage, and haunting. So we explored like everything historically, yeah. the haunted side, the heritage side, and all the folklore that goes into you know just your local in your local communities. Because we think it's important whether it's true or not to kind of preserve those things. Just absolutely, you know, just so people can see. Well, why? How did this even originate? You know, if it's not a true story, then was it supposed to just scare people? Was mm. it supposed to scare kids to like be careful of things? Like, you know, a lot of times people made up stories of, of like cautionary things to kind of keep, you know, kids away from certain areas or whatever it is. And just sure. urban legends are kind of fascinating. For sure. And all cultures have that. And um, it's really nice to make sure you keep a record and document that too. Mm-hmm. And I mean, even with Gina too, like uh, she and I, when we decided to do this, we were always focused more on the history side of things. And then as we started delving deeper into like maybe stories about certain sites or cemeteries or buildings, um, there was always somebody who told us stories about, and they were either urban legends or ghost stories. And we were like, wow, this is fascinating. So we got to incorporate this. This is, and as we start hearing similar stories that are, linked to that same location that kind of just sort of sets a red flag because we think that that's something worth recording then yeah sure. it really piques your interest in then so then when we do go there we do see if we can make contact with yeah. something if our equipment does go off or if there's any sort of energy about a place because i do believe that buildings and areas retain some sort of energy of the past so it mm-hmm. is i think there is something valid to that too that you know is valid enough that you want to go and explore that possibility. I love that. And uh, I did want to bring up the most famous of the cryptids is, of course, Sasquatch or Bigfoot. And oh, uh, have, you, have you been on a Bigfoot hunt or are we you going to? Or? going to. Yes, we have a little area in yeah. um, Pitt Lake, it's called. It's probably about 20 minutes from us, maybe 20 minutes to half an hour. And there, I would say... Probably the earliest Sasquatch sighting in Pit Lake was around the 1930s, like 1933-ish yeah. or so when people said, and there was logging camps there. So there was um, a, logging, a logging group there and the, they said they saw something. Um, some loggers said they, you know, heard things like things that were thrown at the inn that right. they were staying in and that sort of thing. So again, then several years later, 1965, loggers again had a unique experience encountering Bigfoot. They, they saw, you know, saw him long enough that they actually sketched him and recorded, mm. you know, his presence. Like he was at the, in the woods, kind of, he was eating berries or something. And then before he slinked off, they both, you know, were able to, able to see him. So and about like five years later, like 1970, there was another record. Another record. So there yeah. people kept seeing things like another nine loggers said that they were there. They heard something like a big boulder, like being thrown at the inn, which they couldn't explain. And then even more was that, um, that their equipment was flipped yeah. over. Yeah. Mm. So they got, you know, they had like big like bulldozers and things like that, that you wouldn't be easy to flip over, but the, you know, they couldn't explain why their equipment was tampered with. So that was kind of something interesting. So, yeah. And then I would say the other very interesting thing about that area is in the 1960s, when we were researching, 
we found that there were actual Royal Canadian Mounted Police, the RCMP, that there were actual police reports hmm. about things that people said they saw like UFOs. So they said that they described it in their report as a Sasquatch ship. So yeah. we do have a copy of that report in our in our book. Yes, we do. So actually, I'm just yeah, going to hold it up here. We have there. two pages. And one of them actually does kind of in quotes say, you know, that people have seen and it's underlined and in quotes, you know, in big capital letters, Sasquatch, you know, a spaceship as Sasquatch ship and that they saw it in the sky. And as we know that many people who investigate cryptids and especially Bigfoot, a lot of times it goes hand in hand with UFO sightings and people even speculate, well, is he an alien creature? Is he really a cryptid? From another dimension? Yeah, is he from another dimension? Because people have things, you know, time slips around Bigfoot, you know, encounters. So there's a lot of different things that we were really fascinated to find that there was actual, like, police reports about that and that they typed those words even in there because a lot of times, you know, you wouldn't have somebody in, like, an authority-type figure even putting that down on paper because people would think you're nuts, you know. <laughs> I know, and this report, like, was back in 1960. Yeah, yeah. So it was, that's not too and there's a couple different, yeah. And there's a couple different, you know, scenarios, and they say in the Pitt Valley, Pitt River area, and, you know, and then there was some hikers later on that were hiking through the area, through the Boise Valley. They were going up through Pitt Lake, and they heard, like, these horrible howls in the middle of the night just as they were doing, doing up their camp. Mm-hmm you think most people would be deterred, but oh no, they decided in the morning at the break of day that they were going to go investigate. <laughs> so they, you know, supposedly came upon the Sasquatch and he was like catching fish in the, in the river. But yeah. And see for us, it kind of hits home because we just live just like Gina's a few minutes so we, away. And like, I live right in the Pitt Meadows area. Yeah. Ah. So basically I'm, I'm pretty well in the heart of uh, Bigfoot country. And right they there, say it's so. a migration route through <laughs> there. It's like a migration route for yeah. the Sasquatch. So, you know, whether or not that's true, but there's a lot of, and there's a lot of other little myths and legends around that area. Yeah, there's but like, they also see uh, UFOs. There are sightings of UFOs in that area as well. Too, yeah. And so. those continue on, like people still see things. So even when we talk to people, you know, they said that, you know, there's just, you can tell that there's like somewhat of a, there's just something about that area that repeatedly has sightings over the decades and they're all very similar. You know, there's always like Bigfoot with UFOs. So who knows what's in that area and why? I didn't know until fairly recently that there was a correlation between UFO and Bigfoot. Maybe, maybe through ancient aliens I and you and uh, I, because some of the shows about Bigfoot we were talking about earlier that aren't always true, but they still made Bigfoot famous um i had they didn't they don't have that angle as much um Mm -hmm. and the other thing i wanted to ask you is why do you think in your opinion bigfoot has become kind of the representation of cryptids if you think it's the most well-known probably even more than like the loch ness monster now is that it's it's so popular in everywhere bigfoot I just think that, you know, the water is one thing because not everybody goes out onto the water and it's kind of hard to see things unless you spend a lot of time there. I think everybody sort of at one point or another either hikes, camps, or goes into areas where, yeah, there's woods. And there's a lot of um, woods that are very temperate. Like I think the climates, even though they vary, like the southern Bigfoots are different than like our northern ones, right? Because there's in Florida, there's there's the the skunk ape ape and all of that. But they're basically like in a temperate climate. And I think, you know, that that they're more accessible to people than Mm -hmm. than other type of creatures. Because like the other creatures that are, you know, a little bit more geographically contained, I would say. But, you know, Bigfoot is sort of, is sort of everywhere. And people have had like a lot of, there've been a lot of sightings. It's a cultural phenomenon. Basically. I mean, there's whole, yeah. there's whole like podcasts devoted yeah. to like Bigfoot sightings mm-hmm. and there's definitely a lot of them. And, you know, a lot of them seem very sincere. People are really freaked out. A lot of people say that they wouldn't go back to the area. I think we really would like to actually see one, all of us at some to. point, you know, those of us who are searching for Bigfoot, but at the same time, it would be kind of cool finally to discover if there is really something out there. It's the yeah. fascination, the mystery, I think. And, and I, I think that it's human nature, really, mm. to have that intrigue. And he's more. also been caught, if you want to say, caught on camera the most. Mm-hmm. If you, you know, and the vocalizations have been caught. You know, just we've listened to some vocalizations, and man, they They're are not fun. like anything that I could describe as being anything else. Mm. You hear them 
kind of they're eerie and they're hollow sounding and they're just they're terrifying i mean you kind of hope we kind of hope we get to hear one from afar one day it'd be nice <laughs> to come across you know some strange howl but yeah i think it's been it's been more captured than any other creature probably that's said to be out there but you know it doesn't sound like bigfoot has attacked anybody no so that's no. interesting i mean obviously a big animal could hurt you because they're big but it's not like some of those other cryptids you were talking about earlier that would be likely to threaten you or kill you or, you know, except for, of course, you could die of fear, I guess. <laughs> I guess. Well, and we hear, that, we hear that he follows people. Like people yeah. say that if they're in the woods and they're hunting, fishing or doing whatever, and they're going through the woods, that they, they sort of feel like they're being like paralleled by him. Like he's mm-hmm. sort of, you know, keeping his distance, but he kind of, he follows you type of a thing. So that's when they usually say, you know, they f- don't feel right, they smell something or, you know, whatever is happening, but they have been followed by Bigfoot, so I don't think... Uh... Well, we actually interviewed a lady. Um, she told us a story about her going out with her family for a hike, and that was on the island, in fact. I think it was maybe Nanaimo or somewhere in um, Vancouver Island area. Mm-hmm. And um, she was saying the same thing, that they, they went for a hike, thought nothing of it. They're not, they weren't searching for Bigfoot. Nobody <laughs> was thinking about Bigfoot. And all of a sudden, they hear somebody behind them or someone walking just sort of in unison as every time they're walking. They stop. It stopped. So they, they picked up and started walking again. And they're like, okay, again, somebody's like there. And they, they called out asking if there was anybody there. Nobody answered. But they did have a really weird feeling, like an eerie feeling being there. Yeah, and they felt say. like they were being watched, possibly, yes. or mm. something like that. But, um, yeah, and, you know, she just recounted the whole story, and she said that now, as a matter of fact, now she knows what we do, and we told her a little bit about cryptids. She's like, oh, wow. Well, now she's got a different different opinion of whether she wants to even go back there. <laughs> <laughs> that freaks people out. I mean, there's other stuff out here. We showed her some information, some pictures, and she's like, okay, well, maybe, maybe I'll think twice going there again. <laughs> One of our, our listeners um, has a question. They, they'd heard a legend of a young ape boy that was captured around Yale, BC. Do you guys know anything about that? Yes. Mm. Yes. That was actually, in fact, I remember Jacko. Remember Jacko? Jacko? Yes. Yeah. Um, there's a theory behind that. Some people thought that possibly during the time when the circus rolled into town, um, somebody must have lost the uh, like an ape or chimpanzee or something. And um, but apparently um, it made in the news. I think it was in the Victoria Times. Mm-hmm. Um, they did talk about it, and um, apparently I think it was some railway workers that chased it up a hill. And I, I believe it knocked its head and um, it passed out. And uh, then just nobody really knows what happened to the body after that. But oh. uh, the news did point out that it was something unusual. It was an unusual creature. But yeah, Jacko. Yeah, not really ape, but not really human, exactly. but somewhere in between, which is yeah. very fascinating. And that was probably the late 1800s, early 1900s. I remember that story. Yeah. Mm. Wow, that's fascinating. We were talking earlier that there are places in the world that you can't even get into. There could be creatures that we haven't met yet because it's, you know, no one's lived there. No people have lived there and it's dense and you can hide. Yeah. Uh, So anything's possible. Yeah, totally inaccessible. Some areas we don't even know what type of creatures are behind the shrubs and trees there. But I'm pretty sure there are species that we haven't encountered yet and they're waiting to be probably discovered. And that's why probably even with Bigfoot, probably I'm thinking the same thing. Maybe in the next few years, we might probably discover something. Now, I was wondering, um, it seems like there should be smaller cryptids too. And I've never really seen anyone, I'm not a big expert on cryptids though, but I've never heard like in the public opinion, people talking about smaller sized cryptids. Have you come across uh, anything that yeah, is like... A bit. Like people say that there have been like Bigfoot families, that they've seen young ones that yeah. look a little bit different than the different older ones. Different color, different size. Yeah. They might be maybe some are like junior, senior, some yeah. young ones. Yeah. So you never know. Yeah. There might be something like that. And who knows, like when it comes to like smaller, let's say a sea serpent that's smaller, well, you would probably just mistake it for a fish or something logical, like mm-hmm. unless it's huge and like Surging. really... 
Yeah, like if it's not huge and not attracting your attention, you'd probably think it just logically something that we we are familiar with. So that's true. You probably write it off with it. Yeah, like the smaller ones wouldn't really catch your eye because you think, oh, it's just a big fish or it's a, you know, because there are like giant oarfish that can be like 40 or 50 feet long. And, you know, they're kind of like very eel-like and they mm-hmm. sort of swim like that. So people kind of think like, but even oh, it in could Florida, be right, like a skunk ape, some of them are tall, some of them are short, mm-hmm. some of them are only four foot, five foot tall. So I'm not sure. Yeah, it just depends, I guess, probably what type of species or maybe yeah. some sort of, I don't know. And maybe. like the lizard man, he's not very tall. No, he's not. So no. we have um, we have something called the Canadian lizard man. So ah. we can about him. So South Carolina is not the only one. <laughs> I read up on that one. Yeah. Yeah. Nope. Canada has their very own in here in British Columbia. Yeah. Too. So Thetis Lake on the island. Gina's favorite cryptid. Yeah. <laughs> he's one of my favorites. Well, because I think I, I imagine them like the creature from the Black Lagoon. Like if you ever seen that movie, like yeah. he doesn't run. Like he's pretty slow. So I think you could outrun him if you saw him. But <laughs> so we have the lizard men. So people say that they've seen. Um, this sort of lizard-like creature, it started in the 1970s. There was a report in the Victoria um, Times Colonist, so it was a local paper, mm-hmm. that reported that there was these two kids who had a sighting. Like, they had this experience where it apparently chased them. One of the kids said that the, the claw even scratched him, and they made up this story about, you know, this lizard man. So a couple days later, um, the RCMP actually went out and actually, and they did a, the police, yeah, yeah. They, the local police, did, they went out and, and did an investigation because they thought, hey, this sounds kind of legit. So we're going to go look, you know, to see what happened. And one of the kids eventually did admit to that it was a hoax and that he made it up. But however, there were some couple guys too as well. Shortly after the sighting. Yes, they um, were fishing. They were fishing and they happened to see as well something that was creeping up from the water. They said and it walked out of the water exactly. and they said, Oh my God, we saw it walk out of the water. It looked around. And then they said that they ran after that because <laughs> they saw this lizard come out. So, you know, people kind of thought, Oh, well, what could it be? Well, and lo and behold theories as well. Yeah. Cause there was a guy who then, because he read all about that said a year prior, he had lost his pet tegu lizard. And I guess a tegu lizard is a lizard that's fairly large, like it can grow like to four, four and a half feet. Mm-hmm. So American species. Yeah, they're yeah. kind of a large, they're kind of a large aggressive species. So it could probably stand up on its hind legs because lizards do that. But he said a year before that he lost him. So what kind of baffled zoologists was that, well, it was a South American cold blooded lizard mm. that probably wouldn't like survive the Canadian waters or the river. So, or I mean the winters. So, they were kind of perplexed as to why it would still be around like a year later. Like you could see mm. if you just lost it, maybe in its summertime or something, but yeah, they said that it probably likely wouldn't have survived that long, but that kind of, you know, that sort of was the, the logical explanation, which could have been a possibility. Could mm-hmm. it adapt? I don't know. Maybe animals are great at adapting to things and environments. However, there was a sighting of one just back in 2011. Yeah, 2011. Oh. There was more campers who had like um, just gone out on a, a food run. They went to the store. When they were coming back, they said on like they on the shore, they saw like this, something that looked like a small boat and it just looked like the lizard creature that just scurried back in when it when they sort of approached. So and there were a couple campers as well. They had a cabin and um, they apparently saw something on their porch as well. Hmm. And um, it was coming out, I think, out of the water and it was feeding on, on cat food. Oh, the apparently. cat food on the porch. So <laughs> yeah. it was like a lizard thing. Exactly. So, you know, who knows? Maybe true, know. maybe not true. I don't know. But the lizard man sort of sort of lives, has his own little nook. Yeah. <laughs> it's a great it's a great uh concept idea anyway something about a lizard man i like that you know yeah, idea exactly. yeah the the what was it the black lagoon movie i remember the poster mostly from that oh but, yeah no, yeah that I was really too. cool and i love those movies because i love the old all the old like black and whites it's so dramatic they're, they're yeah creepy, you know but yes but you just never know what's in there so. No, no, you don't. I mean, it, it's it's funny that that one started out as a hoax, but then there was a reality too. So that that one's kind of interesting that way. Yeah, there were kind of yeah. groups of people who saw him. So they were like, okay, the, the verdict's still sort of out on all that. So yeah, but um, you just never know about those things. So No, that's true. true. <laughs> now you, you cover in your magazine, you covered about seven. I just wanted to give a shout out to that. Evening in Avenues, Hauntings in the Outskirts. It's your first 
volume one and you have beautiful pictures and I, I also like the story about the Vancouver Police Museum. That whole long story was great. Uh, but you have a great section on the cryptids in there that there's some that we haven't talked about on the show that I totally encourage people to get a copy of it. And, and by the way, where, when, where can they get a copy? Ah, that you can find on our website. We, you can go to hauntedhistorybc.com and just look under our um, submenu shop and you can see all the list of uh, the bookstores that carry our products there. So. And you can just email us too. Yeah. Most of our, a lot of our sales, we it will be... I will probably list it on Amazon probably like the second week of September or so, but I just didn't want to put put it out there quite yet. I mean, Amazon takes a lot of money from people who create stuff. So um, <laughs> I will put it out there before um, the, ha- the Halloween time and everything before spooky season. But yeah, just email us so we can sure. do hauntedhistorybc at Gmail and we have PayPal so you can pay, we ship it to you. So yeah. we will be, you know, we most of the time I, I like five bucks for shipping or sometimes for free if it's, you know, somewhere where it's, it doesn't cost very much. So, yeah, just kind of look us up and yeah, let us know. I'm curious as to what inspired you to create this magazine, because that's a lot of other kind of work, and not everybody will take the time to do it. So what was the inspiration yeah. behind it? Yeah, so it's interesting because um, Gina and I were mulling over the idea of writing a book in the first place. And um, this was about two and a half years ago, really. Mm -hmm. We had a lot of photographs and we thought, how are we going to incorporate these beautiful photographs into just maybe what a hardcover book we thought, maybe like a coffee table book. But then we thought, well, that might be a little too much. Um, Then we thought, well, we thought to ourselves, maybe a novel, but I don't know how that would work with the paperback. So we got the idea about a possible magazine. And the cool thing was, it's a hybrid, basically. It's like a coffee table book and a magazine. (laughs) We started looking, too, at just, we thought, okay, well, there's a few UK ones. There's an Australian paranormal magazine. There's several in the States, but Mm -hmm. there was nothing Canadian. So we thought, Canada needs to have its very own Canadian paranormal magazine, just dedicated to things. And over time, we will probably feature, like, guest writers we do feature some people in there kind of like did their little ad page and right. people that we worked with so and we will have interviews in there as well so yeah no it's been it's been great it was just a better way to showcase everything we wanted to showcase mm-hmm. plus we have so many locations to put it all in one book would have been it just would have been huge and just right. a big undertaking so this way we can we have a lot more to write about so right. we're working on volume two currently yeah. so hopefully there will be a cover reveal sometime in october so, <laughs> excuse me. Um, and so how often do you plan on putting it out or are you doing that sort of by, you know, feel right now? A couple, a couple of year. We're Two hoping, year. yeah, we're yeah. hoping that one. we've got like six issues already planned. So the covers are all designed and everything. So we're just the kind content's of, already mapped out. Yeah, we've so got we outlines of like what yeah. the themes will be behind exactly. them. So yeah, we're just working away. So the second um, volume should be out sometime in November, early December, something like that. Well, that's, yeah. that sounds amazing. I'm so excited. And the, the other thing I wanted to um, share with you is that on the show, Michael and I have made a, a point to bring on women in the paranormal because um, they are underrepresented in the media. So we, I, that's how I found, um, uh, Michael found Spooky Eats, Amanda, and I found Mystic yeah. Mittens through Instagram, and, and we made it a point. So we're happy that you can join into that. And again, we also have Craig, who's a man who's from in the paranormal, but we wanted to support that idea a lot. So you're, you're part of that. Well, yeah, thank you. We, we really, really appreciate it. Yeah, yeah for sure. we sure for do. Sure. Just the exposure, it's fun to talk about stuff. There's a lot of very talented women, non-binary paranormal investigators that are out there doing their thing. And yeah, TV just shows you a very small slice of uh, who's out there doing this stuff. So you always see like the typical, you know, male run teams and everything. But yeah, there's, there's a lot of people that are very uh, creative in what they're doing. So it's really nice to have this platform and platforms like the Feminine Macabre, of course, and yeah, and, and we, we want diversity. In general, nature likes diversity, and why should we not like that, too? So on the show, we, we try to support as much diversity as we can, though sometimes we can't get people from other... Mm-hmm. Uh, I've tried certain, so you just keep kind of trying, you know. But mm-hmm. there are way more women in the paranormal been doing it for a long time than I realized because of connecting to women in the paranormal, whether it's through 
you know, the feminine macabre or some of the guests we've had on telling us their stories. And that was really exciting to me because I don't know, for me, I've been involved in metaphysics and therefore the paranormal Mm -hmm. (laughs) since I was a teenager. And I just didn't know there were so many people, uh, you know, parallel doing it too for many, many decades, you know. So it's really kind of exciting for me to find that out. Well, they said that one of the first women investigators ever was Catherine Crowe in the 1850s. So she was the one writing about ghosts and way before a lot of other people were writing about ghosts and supernatural topics. So the Fox sisters as well, too. Well, yeah, yeah. Seances, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. And I, I did want to mention one of my, my favorite things you did in, in your magazine and also your your um, logo with the crow, the crow <laughs> corner. Michael and I have, we have a very, very close connection to crows. And I oh, was just really touched that oh, you gave that homage to uh, the crow. We've, we've rescued crows and oh, we've, we have really? a, a rescued crow oh, that's 21 years old. And uh, so we have a very strong uh, fondness for them. And so I was like, very touched at the end. Is it the crow? Exactly. <laughs> I know. That's oh. Onyx. Onyx the crow. Yeah, and people she... were like, oh, she's actually real because they heard she's us real. sort of talking about her. But yeah, she hangs out at Victoria's house. So <laughs> she's a regular all the time. And uh, we're always going to have, every magazine will have a little bit of crow corner. That's a, be that's a little a, bit of crow all the time. All the time. <laughs> so we kind of, that'll be a page that will go on and on in each volume. There'll be something about, you know, that particular crow and just crows in general. Very mystical birds. They are, and they are very beloved by people in the paranormal. I mean, they, they, they definitely have a, a love-hate energy. Yeah. I know, like, someone came on my page once. We'd, we'd rescued a baby crow, and I was just talking about it, and we, we take them now to someone mm-hmm. else to re- rehabilitate it because we can't do it. And I was just showing a picture and going on about it, and this woman came on and was just so horrible, saying, these birds are horrible, they kill, and... And I'm like, yeah, so do eagles. <laughs> yeah, eagles and eagles. Well, it's just, the, it's just the way of the natural world. Right? Yeah, so they're not cool. worse, you know, and, and there, there's so many incredible things about them. But the, the ones that love crows, they love them enormously. And, but I've noticed the paranormal world definitely has adopted the crow. Yeah, and if you guys ever want to look at social media, there's a page uh, um, dedicated to a uh, crow called Canuck the Crow. And this fellow had him for the longest time, and they just had the most incredible, incredible bond. There's a documentary, and it's the his Instagram is Canuck and I, and so he posts pictures of. Since then, Canuck ha, has either disappeared or died or whatever. But it, you know, it was just recently, I think 2018 or something, he disappeared. But he he had this crow forever, and I mean, it was like the closest like crow person relationship I've ever seen. I mean, it's just incredible. Yeah, we follow it. I know the whole story of that, oh, you know. Yeah, right. we. I remember when it first came out and Canuck with the knife and, you know. Uh, so, yeah, it, it is amazing. But to be honest, um, if you, there's a lot of people that more than you realize that have very close relationship with crows once you, like there's a, a Facebook site that's called For the Love mm-hmm. of Crows. And then people that have rescued it, once you kind of have them in your life, it seems like the door to all of that opens, you know, like, like I didn't know so many people had connections to wild crows and also rescued crows and, and the little girl that gets the gifts, you know, from the crows somewhere in the Northwest, um, the crow that leaves her jewelry and things because they feed the, the birds there, she and her mother. So it's they they seem to be really social and interactive with people if people are want it absolutely. Well, when you we're know, on location, funny you should say that because yes. um, earlier on when we were thinking of how how we're going to do this um, when we designed um, Haunted History BC, um, Gina and I were just thinking and wondering like what's going to be our mascot? What are we going to do? What kind of uh, brand are we going to create? And um, we just wanted one day we were thinking, hey, let's let's maybe use the symbol of a crow. And we thought maybe we should go take pictures of a crow, see if we can capture some cool shots. Well, lo and behold, Onyx decides to come visit me. 
So she comes to my place and she visits me right on my porch over there and she goes on the railing and she just sits there and it just, you know, hangs out with me for like hours on end. And you've got a photo and shoot. I <laughs> usually do a photo shoot with her. So sometimes <laughs> she looks great. Sometimes she doesn't want to get pictured, you know, but that's right. fine. In the snow, you've got snow but pro I've pictures. I've got pictures and... of her in the snow, during the rain and, you know, like it just throughout all seasons basically. And it's really cool. But she comes and visits. So I technically will say that she has adopted us. Yes, <laughs> that does seem to be the case with crows. Yeah, she comes and hangs out exactly. like when I'm there too. She yeah. perches on the rail or whatever. So we're like, oh, there she is. And, and she's not noisy. She doesn't call when she doesn't have to. She just hangs. That's yeah. it. <laughs> yeah. So I wanted to ask you sort of one sort of broader question too. We're getting close to the end, but you'll have time for this. Is sort of where do you personally both see sort of uh, the paranormal world going, like in terms of your experience? Uh, do you feel like more people will be open to it? Um, what are your thoughts about that? I think more people are going to be open and are open to it. I think when they see people doing legitimate work on the paranormal and it's, you know, not it's not just lurking around darkened hallways with your digital recorder. I mean, there's a lot of research. There's a lot of talking to people. Um, if you want to do it right, there's a lot of repeat visits, like you to the same location. So extremely time consuming. So it's not anything where, where it's just, you know, fun and games necessarily, you know, you see some goofy shows out there at times, but um, there are some legitimate, you know, people doing some sure. really good work there. Yeah. So hoping that that sort of is more the, the direction that it will go instead of like the sensationalized stuff. Yeah, yeah. the more, more of the things that, you know, you're doing, we're doing, women in the feminine macabre are doing. So mm -hmm. things like that, there's just, there's a lot, a lot of people doing some legit investigating and re research that is really fascinating to just, just adds to the knowledge and the Definitely pool of- Definitely is growing. Definitely yeah. the knowledge and the interest is growing there. And I'd like to also, I also noticed too that you don't have to, if you're, even if you get into this field, you don't have to necessarily think that you have to always keep recording something. I mean, we see the shows all the time, walking away with some documents and information and some sort of activity all the time, but that's not always the case. Um, mm -hmm. You know, you go to a place, if you're an investigator, don't be discouraged. Don't, don't think that you walked away with nothing just because you don't have any information or you haven't recorded anything. Um, you know, there's a lot of history involved in maybe the site you've been in and um, maybe just do some research there. You might find some cool stuff there just in general, just uh, that ties with the history. You and don't always have to have spooky stories. Yes. Yeah, the appreciation of the actual location. Yeah. Like you said, you know, you mentioned our photos. Well, that's one thing that we like to also showcase is like the beautiful photography. There's a lot of good, you know, fantastic architecture. That convey the atmosphere. Yeah, there's a lot of, you know, we well. live in a great part of the world where the woods and the lakes are beautiful. So, you know, yeah, there might be a spooky story, but your whole experience is what really, what we're really sharing and exactly. hopefully taking people along on our adventures and, you know, they get to see kind of what we do. It's not, there's not always a ghost involved, but there's exactly. always, there's always for sure a great location involved. So that's one thing we can count on. <laughs> well, history can be haunting in many ways, not yeah, simply exactly. through, totally. you know, and there's always mysteries, like you said, even with regular history and um, when you start digging and looking for the real history of a place. And oh, I, yeah. I'm glad that people are interested in that. In people's lives, like the people who used to be at the locations or people who resided on the land before, you know, there's a lot of fascinating cultural things that happen and, you know, just that we should know about. But we learn so, as well as we, oh, yeah. as we research. We, I mean, we, we think so we go down a certain path and then we're like, oh, wow, we didn't know this. And so we're educating ourselves as we go, which is really a lot of fun. Yeah. And you see how everything's connected. So that's yeah. the thing. When you start digging into history of a local area, you find like the people who started up a certain, you know, certain shop, like in another city, there was like another family member. Yeah, the cemeteries. Who, yeah, the cemeteries. The exactly, all the pioneers. Up, yeah. And you start mm -hmm. to see how, it's all interconnected and in how we can sort of be part of sharing the story and we can be part of the story as well. Right. So that's kind of our hope going forward. Yeah, that's a good point about being part of the story as well by yeah. retelling the story as and, and finding new things out about stories we already know. That's also part of history. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So thank yeah, you both for being on the show. I'm so happy to meet you through Zoom. Yeah, I mean, that's as so close to in, in person you. as yeah. I can get right now. And um, 
Uh, again, I'm really appreciative of, of Amanda's work because um, she's helping me to connect with all kinds of people too through her, her journal. Oh, for awesome. sure. Oh, yeah. Someday we hope to meet some of these people in yes. person. I would love to meet we'll people. We'll have to have some person. kind of a big, like, conference somewhere conference. central. I think we should, like, go somewhere, like, central, somewhere cool where yeah. we all kind of get to meet up. Yeah. That, that would know. be a lot of fun. I, I would love to do that. It would be. So thank you, and I'm, I'm sure we'll have you on again. And, and thank you, everyone, for tuning in today for our show. Join us next time as we continue to research the esoteric and the obscure together. Have a great week.